At Highland, we're all about celebrating little wins and little ways to innovate digital processes. There's no customer pain point too small for us to help with. Maybe that's why more than half of the Fortune 100 looks to Highland to connect their content and data, improve processes, and turn little efficiencies into big wins for their customers and clients. Highland, intelligent content solutions for innovators everywhere at highland.com. Here at Making Movies is Hard, we want to express our support for the writer strike. We encourage our filmmaker comrades to look into how best they can be allies for the good fight. Please go to WGACONTRACT2023.org to support the cause. You know, making movies is hard. Making movies is hard. Welcome. This is the podcast about the struggle of being an independent filmmaker. I'm Mark Purcell, the founding host of the podcast, and I'm a sci-fi horror filmmaker, and my first feature film, The Alternate, is out now on digital, DVD, and Tubi. I'm Liz Banishal. I'm a writer, director, producer who's made two features, Bread and Butter and Speed of Life, and I'm currently making my third, Best Friends Forever. I'm a distribution consultant who does sales, and I used to manage Sundance's creative distribution initiative. On this Thursday bonus episode, we're going to play a conversation between old co-host Timothy and current co-host Ulrich and they talk about unions what they knew about unions at the time and why they both weren't members of any entertainment union at the time and still are now (laughs) since Rob Foreman from Tuesday's episode talks all about the writer strike this felt like a really good match after that we play another round of you're the expert or you're the expert but first don't forget to check our Patreon. Patreon is patreon.com slash MMIH podcast. Every donation is how we keep this show going. And we are very grateful for everyone who's donated as of late. So thank you very much. Without any further bibble babble, here's our throwback conversation with Ulrich and Timothy. I feel like there is like a huge um, difference between union work and non-union work and people who work at the non-union level that have never been on a union set, I think would be kind of surprised about like how different they run. And I don't know like what the jump is between like how you jump from non-union to union and if you can even in in like a a city like San Francisco. I did want to tell one more story, but I guess we'll just go on to this. Well, no, go ahead. So the story I wanted to tell was about um, a friend of mine that I won't name, but he had his own production company and, um, you know, he was growing and getting bigger and had a snazzy reel and like he had, you know, called it like a production company, but he's really just one guy, you know, maybe like a loose partnership with another person, but it was like either one or two guys who, who ran this company. And I think there's like hundreds of these companies all over and like probably hundreds of them in San Francisco alone. You know, these like one or two person production companies, you oh, know? Yeah, there's tons of them. And I mean, Brussel Productions is probably like labeled in there, but I don't really want to be thought of that kind of place. I want to be thought of more as a, of a free, as a freelancer, you know, and I just operate as Brussel Productions, but I'm not like, I'm not trying to be a company, at least right, right. now. You You're know? not incorporated or anything. Right, right. But, um, so a friend of mine, so he had this company and then he went to meet up with another really like a pretty big, well-known company is like one of the ones that you'd emailed me earlier this year. And I don't want to call them out or anything, but um, he met with somebody over there and they sat down and they had a meeting and uh, the person basically like ripped into my friend, according to him, I know he's an exaggerator, so maybe it wasn't so bad, <laughs> but he was basically yeah. saying that they were saying that he's the, he's the problem with production right now is that there's these young companies coming in, 
underbidding everything, driving the prices lower, not having high quality, like, like getting high quality work for no money. And then like kind of making it so all the bigger companies can't get the, the rates that they used to get. And that like all these little up and coming companies are like driving the prices down in the market. And I think it's definitely true. There's a lot of people out it there. Like you, like you can find somebody who's going to say like, oh, edit, shoot, and direct your commercial with all equipment and everything for $500. Like you could find that like right now if you wanted to. And I mean, it probably wouldn't be very good. Maybe it would, probably wouldn't. But, um, you know, I think that kind of thing is making it harder for freelance professionals to get work done. And so that's why I'm like a little hesitant about the whole starting your own production company thing is because... You know, there are there are a ton of production companies like, you know, maybe there's room for one in your market where you are in Texas, you know, but like there's probably a better, bigger one that you could maybe work with and maybe become a part of or at least learn from first. And then if you decide later after you've worked for this person, these people that, OK, I am ready to start my own production company. Maybe that's a better way to go. Like, but I just think going off as a freelancer without having any kind of other, you know, guidance or, or interning or apprenticeship or mentorship is, is maybe not the best route to go. And then you're going to like kind of maybe alienate yourself from the rest of the community, you know, if you're doing it too early without any, enough experience, you know? So. I don't know. That's what happened in San Francisco is that people went to the Academy of Art. They got a film degree in motion pictures and television. They graduated. They bought cameras and some gear. And then they started a production company. And this market is now flooded with production companies like this. These are non-union production companies. So people are allowed to work like multiple jobs, like um, 12, 14 hour days for the same price as like an eight hour day. Right. Uh, all, yeah, all rates are negotiable. So they can get away with doing things for a lot cheaper. My optimism in all this, though, is that, yeah, in this t- right now in this time period, we are taking money away from more established companies and like really talented and good companies. But in the long run, I'm hoping that clients experimenting with these smaller non-union shops that for a very cheap of a cheap amount of money will eventually see the value in spending more money to get like better quality work and that right. it won't last. But I, I could be wrong. Maybe this is the future and this is just what it's going to going to mean that yeah. what, what these companies are doing though is allowing clients to create more content because yeah. they want more and they can't they can't afford to spend a million dollars every time they need something so what they've done is they've turned to these smaller production companies to spend like 25 50 or a hundred thousand dollars on these little videos that are to them disposable that they can whether it turns out good or not it doesn't matter to them they can throw it up on the internet and as long as it gets views their name is still out there so for a lot of clients they don't even care about the quality they just want it to be done right yeah it's interesting i i just did a job a couple like right before i left for vacation where we were coming in to reshoot something that they, somebody else had done already could like they're like well we hired this person they said they had a lot more experience than they actually did and it ended up not working so well and we watched the video and it was like very embarrassing um and then we came in and i was working for another company like for it was actually for studio b and uh and you know we did we, we did it right you know we, we got it done but i mean you know that's what happens when you go with somebody off Craigslist or, you know, who doesn't really have a lot of experience, who, who may, may have a nice looking website, may have a nice looking reel, but you don't even know 
if they even sh- they shot that real. Like some, I've heard of people oh, yeah. taking footage from other people's work and then saying that that's theirs and putting it on their reel. You know, yeah. so mm-hmm. I mean, people do all kinds of crazy shits. So I would just say avoid all that <laughs> and just. Uh, <laughs> You know, if you get a good reel together, you want to go out on your own, that's fine. But I don't know. Maybe it's better if you just, uh, man, partner with some other people. Like, I I want to work for other companies. I want to, like, be a freelancer for other companies. I'm not really ready or interested at the time to start my own company right now. Like, I'd rather work with lots of different other people. You know, that's what I'm interested in. We've said it before. Like, if you look at the history of film and how people learned the craft of filmmaking, they learn through apprenticeship. Right. I think it's a really hard craft to learn on your own and to do, like, to learn through books. Even just by spending money and doing it. I think you really, if you put yourself in a place where you're working with people that can do it better than you, you're just going to learn so much. Yeah. So like on one hand, I'm, I am the person taking money away from bigger production companies. Cause I'm willing to do a cheap production. Like I just did on this milk thing for next to nothing. Um, but at the same time I'm doing it within the walls of my agency. So I have like, I have Jeff Goodby like uh, giving me notes on, my on the script that I'm about to shoot or giving me notes on my edit. Well, so you're it's still like a, doing it for a different thing. It's not the yeah, same. So it's not quite the same, but yeah. So like the set that I was just on uh, the shoot that I just did, I had to be the director, the first AD and the second AD, like all wrapped in one. And that would have never happened on a union shoot. Like you just can't overlap jobs like right. that. So, like, for people who don't know, like, what a union is, it's like, it's, there's certain rules that a union puts into place that if you work with union people, then you have to follow those rules. So, one of those rules, and it's just like a construction site, is like, certain people's jobs are defined, you know, the parameters of those jobs are very strict. So... The, you can't bleed from one job into the next and you have to be paid um, based on an eight hour day and then any time past eight hours is considered overtime right. and you have to break for lunches like at six every six hours and there's all these rules that you have to follow where in the non-union world you don't have to worry about any of that stuff it's all negotiable people can do whatever they want as long right. as you um, abide by you know the regular state law uh, labor laws Right. So, but I mean, I, I structure all my jobs. All my jobs are done on union, but I structure them on the not, the union standards. So yeah, like, you most know, people do. Yeah. Yeah. Most people use the union as union standards as like the general standard. So even on my non-union shoot, we still broke at six hours because that's just, it's just a fair way to treat people. Right. You know, and the, if you treat people bad, they're not going to want to work with you again. Especially but, if you're working on no budget, like you have to ab- abide right. by those rules because that's what people are used to. And if you're getting, getting working with good people, like, you know, most likely they're, they're either been on union shoots or they're aspiring to be union. So like they know the rules, like it's, it's all these, that kind of goes into it a lot. So, yeah. yeah. So I think most people are probably familiar with the acting union, the SAG. And, the and Actors Guild, right? Yeah, SAG and AFTRA. But there's also unions for directors. There's unions for cinematographers. And like, what are what are the unions that like crew member like grips and gaffers and everyone who? What unions do they fall under? Do you know all the different like, unions? I mean, I know there's like Local 16. Is that the one that kind of encompasses a lot of these positions? Like, you know, camera uh, grip 
um, like they all kind of, I think they all kind of have their, their own local union chapter that they kind of are managed under. I know there are different unions on a higher level. Like there's like the ACE and the BSC. Those are like the two different unions for camera operate or ca- camera department. Well, I'm not even yeah familiar with all those. Cause I, I only deal with SAG on, on my side of things. Right. But if you're a production company, you'd have to deal with all the different unions. I don't and really you'd have know to sign agreements with them probably. Yeah. If you want to work with union people, you, normally what you do is you sign agreements with those unions and say, I'm only going to use union people on my set. So then you're not allowed to use non-union people. So like one of the big disparities between production companies on my end is um, union versus non-union shops means if a shop has signed up to work with a union, that means they can only produce a job at a certain starting at a certain price because you have union regulations dictating uh, you know the the production around that job, but right. a non-union shop can beat the number up down to like the twenty five thousand or thirty thousand dollars that a lot of clients are asking for nowadays. So, right, that's like the challenge is like the union shops are missing out on business because they can't get that cheap because they're working under union rules. So right. that's one thing to think about. It like if you are a production company and you're thinking about signing up with the unions, is that you you can't go back. Like once you're once you're signed up with them, but I guess if you're at that that stage, you probably are comfortable with that, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't I don't really like know <laughs> when a production company would want to go union or not. I mean, I, I know that a lot of the work and most of the work um, that I've done in the Bay Area is all non union. Like all the Studio B jobs are all non union, and and they they range from you know like twenty thousand to like you know two hundred thousand or more or whatever but they still stay you know non-union and maybe you have to hire a union um crew for certain things at certain times like the, the way i deal with it the most actually is like these conference halls these convention halls in san francisco they're all controlled by the union so if you're shooting like at moscone center or whatever you're they're technically supposed to have a union camera operators for that oh, stuff okay. uh-huh. um but like i've shot in there before as non-union and you can kind of get away with it but like they, they kind of harass you a little bit like they're like they always ask you like oh what union are you with or who are you with are you with the union blah 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 like and if you're not then they sometimes make you hire a union operator to be a li- liaison with the non-union operators. So like you can hire a non-union person, but you have to also hire a union person to be there with them what during the shoot. And um I think that oftentimes make makes people just hire union guys, but like a lot of times like you know you don't necessarily trust the union guys cuz they're just going to assign you a person and you don't know what their qual- how good they are, you know, and like then you sort of like want to look for a union person that you trust that you can hire. You know, so it kind of becomes tricky, but um you know, I, I don't, I don't exactly like know when you have to go union for a commercial. I kind of have an idea of when you have to do it for a movie. It's like if you're going over a certain budget and you have like, um, like a certain amount of days. I don't exactly know all the rules. There's tons of rules to it all, but, um, I know there's a lot of movies I've, I've uh, heard about people being on. That will flip. So, like, they'll be non-union, and then halfway through, they'll turn union for this reason or that reason. Oh, really? And, and if that well, happens... Well, sometimes the unions will come and they'll bully a production. Like, if they know a production's in town that's a non-union production, they can come and boycott that production and try to unionize it. It, it starts with SAG, I think, a lot of times. Because, like, yeah, you know, all so. the... Because you can't really get actors unless, you know, they're, they're SAG actors. And, I mean... 
you you can get SAG actors on a non-union shoot. Like that's not a problem. But I know that if the shoot starts to get to a certain budget level or a certain sphere or whatever, and you have right. like this amount then of it actors hits the union involved, map, and they're like, well, why aren't they working union? If they're that budget. Right, exactly. And then sometimes you have to flip. I mean, I think we should ask, if I have a producer, like a film producer on at some point who can talk about this a little, <laughs> little bit more detail. Um, yeah. But I, I just remember being a PA and kind of hoping things would flip because if it did, then you, you get a different type of days um, on it. And then you can use those union days to, to get um, to your uh, next level of being a, like, I think you be- become a second second or whatever. And then, and then that's like how you get into the union. Like you need a certain amount of days on union shoots and then, um, you need like some recommendation letters or whatever. And then I think, you know, once you have your 500, 400 days or whatever it is, then you can, you, you can turn union, you know, <laughs> and that's what everybody wants to do because then once you get to union, you can work on the union jobs and the bigger movies and you get a, a better, better rate. And it's like the next step in your career, you know? Yeah. Um, but at but, this point, are you even thinking about joining the union or is that not even on your radar? I was thinking about it for camera operating because uh-huh. like you, you can go down to, I think it's local 16 and, um, you know, you, you introduce yourself, like, you know, you can show them your reel or your resume and say, Hey, this is the kind of work I've done. I'm, I'm a camera operator. I want to be a camera operator or whatever. And then they sign you up and then you can get like a, your union card, but you're not like actually a card. You're not a card holding member, but it's like you're a permanent or something um they'll like give you like a work permit to like do union work or overflow work or something like that if they have like too much work in town and then usually you'll get called just to do like staging work you know like the the bitch work basically you know and where you don't get paid like you get paid like i think 35 an hour or something like that and then you know it's all like you said like based on eight hours and then you get overtime or, or whatnot you know but um but you just have to take every call you get, you know, and like if it's a, a staging call or like, you know, some bullshit, you know, like dock loading call or whatever, you have to take it. And then like once you take en- enough of those and they'll trust you and then they maybe they'll, they'll throw you a camera operating gig. And then if you do a good job, they'll they'll trust you and they'll give you more. And then but it's all about like not saying no. Right. Like if you say if you turn down jobs because like you don't want to or you got other things going on, they're just gonna tell you to go to hell. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so it's really hard. Like it's it's all like you know like loyalty and you know who you know and if they trust you and putting in your time, paying your dues. You know, so it, it would be kind of limiting. Like if I started to go down that path, like I would probably have to do a lot um, less of the other things I do. And kind of like say no to a lot of the other things in my life that I do just to, you know, like make the union happy, you know. Um, and then, and then what? And then you get to a certain level and then you're, you're shooting on, um, you know, A's games and Giants games, you know, or you're, <laughs> or you're like, you know, well, in San Francisco, yeah. Or like when Outside Lands happens, you're, you know, the big concert that happens in the city once a year, then you go, you, you get to operate one of the cameras on that. Or, you know, if someone comes to town or like, you know, Comic-Con's in town and they have camera operators like shooting the panels here, you get to shoot the, on that. So it's like, that's sort of the kind of work that, that, that would open up. Like, it's, it's not, it's not like, oh, I would get a chance it's not to. glamorous. I'm not going to operate, get, you know, operate on the union commercial that comes to town or, or whatever, or the union movie that comes to town and, oh, I'm not suddenly going to be an operator on that. I mean, maybe after like 20 years, 
I would potentially get to that structure. But I think mostly like those people, they will just come with their DPs from, from wherever they come from. If they're coming out of New York, they're probably going to bring a camera operator with them. Or if they're coming out of LA, they'll definitely bring a camera operator with them, you know? So I just don't know. I don't really see the, the, the big picture upside to it besides like having steady work as a camera (laughs) operator, you know? But well, I, it probably it depends on where you are, right? San Francisco is a different town than right. LA. I'm sure in LA it benefits you so much more to be oh, in, a, in a union, right? Well, yeah, if there's you, a huge right. dispar- disparity between union work and non-union work in LA, and everyone in LA wants to be on the union side of things, right? So it, it definitely is going to change the game if you can get on the union side. If I was in LA or New York, I would definitely, I would join the editing union probably or try to because that's all the work that's out there is all, like you said, all union work. And, um, I think you have to like, I was talking to somebody who just joined the editing union and they were like kind of at my level, like independent filmmaker had kind of gotten out of college a couple years ago or whatever. And they had worked as an assistant editor on a documentary for like, you know, six months or something and that was kind of like their way in because they got enough days by doing the assistant editing on the dock and then they were able to get their card and become an editor and then you know get jobs and you know probably mostly doing reality tv you know i think that's what you do a lot of in la you know (laughs) lots of reality shows that need editors um but but yeah i mean i think in new york same thing like i think if i was in new york or la i'd probably definitely go for either the camera union or the or the editing union but I'd probably have to choose. Like those, those, those markets are big enough where you, you'd be more specialized. Like in this, this small market, you know, there's not really enough work to really be that specialized. So that's why I do editing and shooting and producing and everything, you know. But if I was over there, I'd probably pick one and just do that, you know. And, and I'd probably pick editing most likely because I think editing, there's always room for editors, you know. And one last thing about unions, um, um the, benefits besides all the the regulations around like hours and and wages and all that is also they offer pension plans and what like do they have like health care and it's kind of like with the company there's um benefits that come along with it right so you pay into the union and part of your union dues are they go back to like these great benefits that help people out so right there's a lot of upsides to being in a union um, but it might also, depending on which city you live in, hamper you because you might not have as many opportunities. Right. I think the union I'd want to be in mostly would be the DGA. I mean, yeah. they, they also govern assistant directors too and, and like production coordinators and stuff and, and some other positions. But, um, you know, they're, they're like the, they're, they're for directors, right? So like if you get yeah. in to the DGA, then I think your opportunities as a director will grow exponentially. And I know that like, I don't exactly know how it works for if like if you directed an independent film and it turns union and like you're suddenly on a union job, like do you automatically get into the DGA? Like I don't know if that's how it works. I think you have to like meet some sort of criteria or whatever. Um, but I kind of feel like if people want you to, uh, to be working and people want to hire you to direct, then, you know, the union's glad to take you cause they want, they want that, they want that work. They want that money, you know? And, uh, and I think they want all directors in the union, right? Like, just like they want all writers in the union. They don't want non-union writers and non-union directors taking big jobs away from union people. So, you know, I think it just like, once you get to that level on the, on the creative side, like on the filmmaking side, um, that, that stuff will be easy, you know, but like, 
as a as a nobody just trying to come up, I think, you know, you got to worry about the unions when they're ready to have you. I don't think you worry about the unions first. I think you just go out, <laughs> do your stuff, and then you worry about the unions when they're ready to take you. Because, yeah. like, there's all these rules. It takes a while rules. to get to that level. Yeah, there's all the rules, all all the things you do to get in the union. But I think the bottom line is is when you're when you're getting the the offer to direct a movie, um, then they're gonna they're just gonna sign you up, you know? Because why wouldn't they, right? Yeah, but um, one warning about the union. I don't know too much about this, but I was talking to a filmmaker that I work with that he did a hundred thousand uh, dollar feature film, and one of the I think his first AD convinced him to go union on one aspect of it, and after his uh, film got distribution, the union came back to him for um, payments on stuff. Mm. So it it we all expected on SAG right that there's residuals for SAG actors. But right. th- it also applies to certain crew members or key positions. Right. So I don't know too much about it, but just you know, be aware if you're going to sign any union agreement for people on your crew. Just like double check that on the back end that you're not you're not having to pay people extra money. Okay, so really quick on breaking in. Okay, ten minutes. Ten minutes on this. Okay. So we talked to Robin Schmidt yeah. last week about his podcast breaking in and his his thoughts on like how he's going to break into Hollywood. Right. And um, I feel like, you know, just, I think I got kind of defensive with him a little bit because I feel like we'd started this podcast talking about breaking in and, right. and kind of the myths about breaking in. I think we were trying to explain to Robin, like to try not to think about it as like this one big step that like you step in and you're, you're in like you're are he's already in i feel right and right. like i i kind of just wanted to talk a little bit about that again because i just want to remind everybody that there is no breaking in like you're just either in or you're out and in just means that you're doing stuff <laughs> right well it's <laughs> right? interesting yeah cuz there's all different kinds of levels you know like you know for me and you and for robin too um you know all our income comes from video production or filmmaking one way or another you know yeah i mean mostly video production but i mean i think there's a lot of people who you know want to be doing video production and filmmaking and stuff and and they have you know jobs still like they they do you know they're working at a, at a restaurant or they work a day job doing this or they do a day job doing that or, or whatever tech or you know finance or banking to me yeah. When I, when I was like only doing video production and that was the whole way I was providing for myself, I kind of felt like I had made it in a way. Like I made it. I'm a video production professional. This is what I do for my money. You know, I don't do anything else. So I was like, so that it's, I think it's just all relative. Like, you know, what, what does it even mean to make it? And you look at Robin and it's like, yeah, he's directing. I, I think he's almost exclusively directing now at this point, you know? Yeah. The last podcast I heard, he said that he just signed a deal with the production company in Holland, that he's a full-time right. director there now. Right. Exactly. So it's sort of like, well, dude, you're directing commercials full-time. Like <clears throat> how much more made it do you want? You know, like I think he has this like romantic idea and he says it's not, I listened to three episodes of the, or four episodes of their podcast on Friday. It's a really mm-hmm. great pro- podcast, but I think he, he claims that he's not into the romantic side of it that he wants it just to do the work and do do the and be in that space and do the work and and get to that level but i think he is into the romanticism of it too just just like simon is his his is you know his partner mm-hmm. and simon admits that he's more into the romantic idea of moving to la and moving to hollywood and making it or whatever you know but i think they're both into that kind of romantic idea of uh making it happen in in, in hollywood and being a 
being getting to that level. And I think they're, they're, I don't think Robin really does much on camera work, but I know Simon is an actor, you know, and a writer. So I think for him, it's definitely that kind of like that sort of thing. Um, but I just don't know if it exists, man. I just like what we've been talking about. And that's what like it the- does. I mean, it does exist. We hear stories about it. And I think it's this dream that we all have of, of like <laughs> right. winning Sundance and or having the online video, uh, the Fede Alvarez story where all of a sudden like but you Sam still have Raimi to is- work like, yeah, I'm sure but if I- we talk to Fede Alvarez, he's not going to say like, oh, he's not going to feel like he made it. Like, he's I got think two- he's still I think he's still striving for something else, too. And, and he's I'm still sure grinding. he's yeah. yeah. And I'm sure he's like, oh, man, I'm. I'm I'm stuck here, but I really want to be here, and I'm I haven't made, I haven't broken in until I'm working at Sony Pictures or Paramount, or you know right. I think there's always like a new mountain for you to climb. So I feel like the break in is really just doing it. Like if right. you're able to make movies or shoot stuff, and whether or not you even make money doing it, just you're able to do it. I feel like that's the break in. Yeah, and then beyond that, there's like different levels, and you can you can reach for higher and higher goals. But I think to imagine that you're just gonna like there's this one step that you take, and all of a sudden you're past this barrier. I just don't think that exists for anybody. Right. Well, for me, it's more like you know if I can do it without going into bone crunching debt, like that that is what <laughs> it means to make it for me. If like if someone else is paying for my work, whether or not. I'm getting paid anything or, or very much like that's doesn't matter. But if someone's footing the bill for my films, like I think to me, that's when I would feel like I have made it, you know, and, and he just told us that he got funded for a short last year and that he's right. aligned for funding on his features looking good. It's like, well, what the freaking frack, man? Like, <laughs> I feel like you're there, you're doing it. You've, you've made it, man. You're making it happen. But right. uh, at a certain point, you have to always just take a step back from where you are and just appreciate the things that you do have and try not to feel. Because I think the danger is that you start to feel like you're a failure because you haven't achieved this level of success that you've either always dreamed about or you feel like is the only way to feel satisfied with the success that you have. Yeah. So. I feel like if I can have, like, this time next year, if I um, have a line to, like, shooting the alternate, like, let's say, like, I've got, like, you know, a quarter or a half of my budget raised in a year, and, like, we're looking to shoot next, the the spring 2018, I'd feel like that's a pretty amazing success. If I can be lucky enough to actually have shot in the fall next year and, like, be wrapped at this point uh, in a year, like, that would be, like, you know, a miracle, basically, <laughs> You know, but I mean, I, hopefully I can get to the, either of those places, you know, but I feel like even if I do that, even, you know, I'm going to shoot the movie. It depends on when I'm going to shoot it. But like when I shoot the movie, I should say, uh, I don't even know if I'll feel like I've made it. I feel like I've just gotten to the next, like I finally made my first feature, you know, like that's amazing. But like now what's the next one? I got to get the next movie made, you know, I've got to get an agent. I've got to get distribution. Like there's like always new levels. So I feel like making it is all... It's all relative, right. man. Well, we'll cut to a year from now, and Robin will be in Hollywood inside some studio with his middle finger out and telling us to fuck off. So right. we'll, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> exactly. He might be right, and we're but wrong. Then, but then he'll be like, you know, a writer's <laughs> intern or a writer's assistant, and he'll be like, you know, 
trying to get the 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 seat as a as a junior writer or he'll be a junior writer and he'll be like trying to get his show uh you know through so he can be the showrunner or whatever you know like he'll always be struggling for making yeah, it like grinding on some like lame show that nobody watches and he'll be like ah oh, man i really want to be doing westworld but you know he doesn't have right. that opportunity and or i really want to be doing my own series there's always going to be some struggle i just i feel like there's always a struggle i don't right. know I just think of the Thornton brothers, you know, and like right. how like they they've gotten multiple paid jobs as writers, you know, and like I think they even sold a script or they got a script optioned or something. And like, you know, we had them on the show and they like they didn't get funding for their for their first feature on Kickstarter. And like, I don't know what they're doing right now, but it's like, you know, you look at those guys and it's like, you know, they're, they're like three or four steps above Robin and and I don't even feel like they've really made it yet, you know. But right. like, it, based off of Robin and Simon's, um, you know, their their model for breaking in, like just getting the offer for work is is the break in. But it's like that's not that's not, that's just the beginning, you know. That's not even right. I feel I like they've know. already broken in. They've already just, broken in, and they should yeah. change the name of their podcast to Making It Bigger. Yeah, like uh, move, <laughs> moving to Hollywood. To, uh, moving to Hollywood. Yeah, yeah, moving to Los Angeles. Yeah. All right. But, I don't know what we're trying to say with this. So I guess the point is, like, it's good to have dreams, but if you think the dream is the only measure of success, then you're going to be depressed and unhappy for your whole life. Right. So try to try to appreciate what you have, and I like what you're doing, Ulrich, with setting realistic goals for your next steps and. They sound doable and they sound like you can pull them off and you're going to feel so satisfied when you get funding for your movie and you're going to be in production and in 2018, you're going to be shooting it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's, let's hope so. But I, I think so. I, I'm feeling <laughs> you're, Cause you're not banking on anyone else to, no. to make that dream come true. Like it's no. all in your control. Yeah. I just, it's the up money to part. me to, to raise the money. And if, if someone can fast track it for me somehow or get it, love them script and wants to make it happen sooner like more like hell yeah but i'm being being realistic like i think in a year's time i can raise the money to make the movie you know um and whether it's the fifty thousand dollar movie or a two hundred fifty thousand dollar movie or one million dollar movie one way or another like i'll get the budget together you know but yeah we'll see what happens (laughs) cool well we ran out of time for the share corner let's just skip that and we're gonna go out all right. You have any last last words? No, just that I really love the conversation with Robin, and and I started listening to the podcast, and I think everyone should listen to it because that's really cool. There you go. Check it out. The break in. Yeah. With Robin Schmidt. All right. Thanks everyone for listening. Do you love making movies as hard, and you want to listen to more episodes? Jump over to our Patreon page at Patreon.com/slash/MMIH, and you can listen to the entire back catalog of episodes for just one ninety nine a month. That's an additional three hundred episodes that aren't on iTunes that you can listen to whenever you please. But without any more blibber blabber, back to the show. Okay, well, I don't really remember what I talked about with Timothy many, 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 many years ago. But I know that whatever it was, he researched and I didn't. And then I talked out on my butt. And then he came with uh, actual things that he had read. But I did have some experience with unions back then because I had some friends who had some union troubles. So I think I talked about that a bit. Anywho, here's a listener question that we got over the weekend. This is from Ulrich from Norway. Same spelling as my name, except a U instead of an A. So that's very fun. Here's what Ulrich has to say. I am 16 years old, live in Norway, and have become interested in creating movies. 
I've come up with some ideas for potential movies. What should I do next? Love your podcast. Regards from Ulrich. And then I asked him, like, so what's your level of experience? Like, what have you done? Blah, blah, blah. And he says, I would not say I have made any films outside tasks at school. At the moment, the only thing I have are multiple ideas for potential scripts. Do you know of any free, cheap resources for learning the basics of filmmaking, like writing, camera directing, and such? Thanks. P.S. Movie making is a pretty new obsession, but I've always been interested in things surrounding the process, such as film, music, CGI, and movie props and set design. So I wanted to have this question from Ulrich because the you're the expert for this week is very similar in a way Eric's and then just so you know what you're the expert is everybody it's another thing that Eric comes up with every week where he challenges us with a question that he thinks that we are the absolute experts on and they'll have the definitive answer between Liz and I so here is the you're the expert for the week which I think is like directly connected with Ulrich's question. I live in the suburbs. I want to get involved with filmmaking. A few of my friends and I shoot sketches with shorts with our cell phones, but I want to meet people who make bigger projects. Where should I start? So I want to propose that we talk about Ulrich's question first, and then we can kind of tie it into this question because I think they're very, very much connected. So yes, there are free everything. You can get screenwriting software Celtics I think is what it's called is a good one that a lot of people use even people who are like you know write written more multiple scripts use Celtics so definitely recommend that we can throw the links somewhere also respond to your email and give you the links I feel like if you have a phone you have a camera or you can get a camera really easily so just like use your phone or find friends who have cameras there's got to be somebody at your school who has a camera that they will lend to your your filmmaking projects but i think when you do your first one it's probably better to do it by yourself because then you can really teach and learn yourself and then you don't have any pressure and you can just do it and figure it out and like you know make a story about you know like nothing like like something in your like your room where you are the lead actor and you're the director and you're everything just do like i want to take a nap Make the movie of the nap ticking. You know, one of the ones in, in school that somebody did was like making a peanut butter jelly sandwich. It's like just shoot the making of a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Like that's like sounds stupid, but like I think it's a pretty good way to learn all the basics of like what coverage is and like how to tell a story with a beginning, middle and end. Because, you know, you, you have like before there was a sandwich, the middle when you're making the sandwich and the end when there's a sandwich. So that's that's storytelling in a nutshell, really. Right. Do you choose to show the face of the person who's making the sandwich? Are they hungry? Do you need to direct them to get to that emotion? It's actually that's like a really good assignment because, oh, my God, now I like want to do my own sandwich video. Yeah, you could just have you could set up a camera just on your hands while you make the sandwich. You know, you could do it. You could do it completely experimental. You could do it. Like an action movie, like you can do it any jelly. way you want. You're in the jelly, <laughs> and then the knife comes at you, and it becomes a, a psychological thriller all of a sudden. Mm, yeah. So yeah, I would say like definitely start small and then work your way up. But then, you know, if you want to meet people, to do bigger projects. Like it's the people in your in your area. It's the you know go on the Facebook, go on Craigslist, go on any boards that you may have in your in your local town. And just interact with the people who are also artists in your area because there are artists everywhere. (laughs) There will always be an artist. There will always be somebody who wants to create and tell a story. Whether or not they have the fancy newest equipment or not is is different, but I'm sure you're going to find somebody in your area who has the equipment needed to make a movie. And it's just up to you to find them and partner with them and make it happen. So I would say, like, 
you know, just get out there and start talking about your filmmaking and your desire to be a filmmaker. And then soon enough, you're going to find the people who are going to, you know, form your first crew to help you make your first movie. But Liz, what do you say? Any other things you want to add to that? Well, yeah, for Ulrich, it's like, you know, when I, I was a theater nerd when I was in high school and I had a lot of monologue books and scene study books and things like that. And it's like, take the pressure off of you to create every single aspect of this exercise, this sketch that you need to participate in and to get to know what filmmaking is all about. So you could do this, the peanut butter exercise or the sandwich exercise, or you can pull a scene book or a screenplay and just shoot that. So I would say, don't try to do too much because at the very beginning, it's very easy to get overwhelmed. So I would rely on a prompt or their source material. For Eric's, you're the expert question. You know, my first instinct is don't. Don't go meet other people like you have you have the ideal scenario. You are with friends. You're shooting sketches with with your phones like just make them better and better, funnier and funnier, weirder and weirder, get them out into the world, show them, connect with audiences. Don't assume that someone else knows way more or better than you just because their projects have bigger budgets. Like sketches are incredibly important to artists and our formation as artists. But if you really want to meet people, it's the local film festival, it's attending those, and it's the 48-hour film competitions, the 48-hour filmmaking competitions. Find other people, and then they will in turn introduce you to more people, and it will constantly grow. Your network will grow for every event everything you do. But I would say, as per the advice we give on this show over and over again, the most important thing is to do. Just do. Just keep making these movies. You know, there's a million resources online where you can learn how to do it. You know, like we're one of them, but like, yeah, you type in filmmaking into the internet, you're going to find so many different, you know, tools and resources and ways that will help you get started and get going. I mean, you can edit on your phone now. Like you can do everything on your phone. You could like shoot a movie, edit a movie and post a movie all on your phone. You know, don't even need a computer. (laughs) It's crazy. So yeah, let us know anyone else out there have any other suggestions or things that we missed of things you can do to get started when, when you're just first making your first movies. That'd be great. But yeah, I feel like find the people that you can make movies with and start doing it because doing it by yourself is good in the beginning, but eventually you're going to need some support in, you know, having partners is really great. And I think it makes the experience a lot more fun too, because as we always say, film is the most collaborative medium out there. And, you know, you got to do it with a team. Can't do it by yourself always. And so if you have anything that you want to add to this conversation, you can send us a question, comment, or suggestion to podcast at making movies is hard.com. Or if you like you can, the show a lot, you can leave a review on iTunes, which is amazing. You can also check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at MMIH podcast and YouTube at making movies is hard podcast. Thanks to our editor, Jeff Reimut, for doing the editing. Thanks to Robert Jones for running our social media. You're the best, Robert Jones. And thanks to our producer, Eric Toms, for being awesome. Thanks to you all for listening, and we'll talk to you all next week. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. 
And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.